Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 119. Welcome back, Adam Antimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison, and I am feeling super stoked today. It is feels like summertime. The sun's out. I'm in a tank top uh, when I'm wearing a shirt at all. I got to go to the beach on the weekend. I got to play some golf on the weekend, and I'm not embarrassingly bad at golf anymore because of the pandemic, probably. If you're listening from another city, I know most of you are ahead of us already, but here in Toronto, we are finally reopening slowly starting this Friday. We can go sit on patios, so people, the vibes in the city are good right now. The Euro Cup starts this Friday. I'll be cheering for the Three Lions, as painful as it usually is cheering for England. But what is not to be stoked and excited about? It's summertime, and I'm especially jacked up right now because today's episode is super, super cool. We've got Adam Duritz, the Adam Duritz of Counting Crows, right here on the Adamantium podcast. And Counting Crows have just released their first record in almost seven years. It's called Butter Miracle Sweet One. So it's actually technically an EP. There is a sweet two that is supposed to come at some point. We don't know when. And together it'll make up the full album, the full Butter Miracle. I spoke to Adam Duritz over Zoom as we are still doing our virtual series episodes for now. And we talked about Butter Miracle. We talked about being a band for 30 years. We specifically spoke about one of my favorite Counting Crows songs. And man, Adam is such a great conversationalist. I loved having him on the podcast. He loves to answer questions and speak thoroughly. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast just the week before where he did like a three-hour episode. I mean, I could have easily spoken to him on this podcast for an hour to an hour and a half. I still had topics I wanted to go through, but unfortunately, we were on a time limit and we were cut off by the powers that be. But hopefully then we'll just have to have Adam back on for a follow-up episode. But as someone who grew up in the 90s, this was such a cool opportunity to have. And uh, I thank Adam Duritz for taking the time out of his day, out of his busy media schedule to do the Adamantium podcast. And uh, it is much appreciated. And I'm super excited to share with you guys because it is an awesome episode. Before we do this episode, let's do the Adamantium Recommend segment, which... With a band like Counting Crows, I, I, I can hardly call it a recommends. It's more like, here's Adam's five favorite songs. <laughs> so here we are, Adam's, or the Adamantium's five favorite Counting Crows songs. Let's get the obvious out of the way. You can't have a Counting Crows list without Mr. Jones. So there's number one. Number two is going to have to be the song Hanging Around. Number three, I have to say I'm a sucker for their cover of Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi. Number four is the song Accidentally in Love from the Shrek 2 soundtrack. And number five is probably my favorite Counting Crows song, and that's the song Along December. And that's it. I mean, that's <laughs> Counting Crows' greatest hits right there. And there's a good chance today that uh, today's listeners uh, are Counting Crows fans that happen to stumble across the Adamantium podcast. If that is you, welcome. We, uh, we love having you. We'd love for you to tune in again someday. You can do so anytime by hitting subscribe on whichever podcast network you choose to get your podcasts. You can also find and follow the Adamantium podcast on social media. We are on Instagram at the Adamantium, on Facebook at the Adamantium podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. And we won't waste too much more time in today's intro because you want to hear from Adam Duritz, not from Adam Harrison. 
So let's get into it. Here's episode number 119 of the Adamantium podcast featuring the Adam Duritz of Counting Crows. Holy sweet mother of pearl. Here it is. Enjoy everyone. Get out there and enjoy the sunshine. Tune back in next week. We still have some really cool episodes coming up around the corner. And so we will see you very soon. Hey. hey, man, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I think this is the earliest anyone's ever turned up for my podcast. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> even even when they're in person, you know. <laughs> it's not usually my, uh, my, I'm not usually the on-time guy, but today, just for you. There you go. I appreciate it, man. And I promise, I promise I won't keep you as long as Joe Rogan did. But... <laughs> <laughs> that was wild. It was, uh, it was kind of amazing to be in, on an interview for that long. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of his thing, but uh, it's amazing that he, you know, he finds enough to talk about for that long. So he's like honestly interested in shit. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you have to be in all kinds of different shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, he must spend a ton of time researching it. I, I, otherwise, nobody could talk for three hours if you're not like really invested. Right. And, and, and like multiple times a week, too, you know? Yeah. And, on top of doing UFC and stand-up comedy, I don't know if the guy never probably never sleeps. I don't know. I, I got to admit that shit impressed me. I was like, wow, he's really on it, and he's got two other people this week, and I, you know, I was yeah. kind of blown away. But yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I have enough. I have enough time running this one on my own and <laughs> juggling a job as well. You know, it's, it's very. I know the feeling. How? Uh, Wait, what's how that doing? T-shirt? Is that a Thin Lizzy T-shirt? It sure is. It sure is, man. That is completely cool. Yeah, that's and- a great T-shirt. Yeah, it's one of it's actually one of my favorites. Um, found it, I think I found it on eBay at one point because um, it's from like the 1979 tour. Yeah, fantastic. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 Irish background, so Thin uh, Lizzy's always been on the catalog. Cool, man. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, a lot of days of this lately. Yeah, it's yeah. It's good. And well, I very much appreciate you taking some time today to. Uh, to chat i'm in so first first of all i mean congratulations on sweet uh sweet number one of butter miracle thank you um pretty pretty exciting eighth eighth studio album um i i had to listen through it a couple times and uh it's really really cool i love i love the way the album was designed or the first part of the album was designed to kind of listen from beginning to end um together uh, yeah, I really love that about it. Tell me, tell me a little bit uh, why you decided to release the album kind of in two parts. Well, I mean, there wasn't really ever a second part. I mean, there okay. probably will be a second suite, but this was just like a one-time thing in, in my mind. You know, I just, I, I was writing The Tall Grass. I thought I had finished it, but I was playing it the next day and trying to make sure if it was done and messing around with the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried up some different chords. The I don't know why sounded cool over them too. And then I just kind of sung this line. Uh, Bobby was a kid from around the town. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Maybe this is a longer song. Maybe I'm going to extend it like Palisades Park or something. Mm-hmm. And then, then I, I did, played with it for a second and I thought, no, no, that's a different song. Whoa, what if I wrote a whole series of songs where the end of one was the beginning of the next? You know, mm-hmm. that could be really cool, like a suite of songs that flow together. 
Uh, and I got really excited about doing that. But I mean, I, it worked in my head. It was hard and really challenging to write them that way, but they worked on the piano to me. But it's not like I played them all together at once. I was just playing them one at a time. I'd send demos to the band where I played the song and I played it a few lines into the next song so I could exp- show them what I meant, you know? Mm. But until we were finished recording, you know, and even in recording, we would record like the tall grass and at the ending, we wouldn't stop. We would go all the way through into the beginning of Bobby yeah. of, uh, of Elevator Boots and we would stop a couple lines in. So, you know, so that we made sure to play like they flowed together and then stop. Um, but even then, I'm not hearing the whole thing, you know? And so uh, until we finished mixing and put it all together and played it, I, I wasn't really sure it was going to work. I mean, mm-hmm. it worked on paper. It worked in my head. I composed it for it to work. But you don't know. That's right. a, it's just something you're holding in your imagination until I heard it. And it was like, oh, fuck, that's great. I was so excited. I think that might be the most satisfying moment of my career, really. Holding an idea in your mind, you know, for so long, you know, constructing a whole thing around that idea, but yeah. you know, never knowing and then hearing it. So at, at some point after that, one of my friends asked me, are you going to do a suite two? What are you going to call it? I said, I think Butter Miracle Suite One. And uh, he was like, the, I think it might have been Chris Caraba. And he, he might be the only one of my friends whose response wasn't, Dashboard. what does the title mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, he was like, are you doing a second suite? Yeah. It was either him or Dave Leo Pepe from Gang of Youths, because the three of us pass music to each other a lot. They're very mm-hmm. close friends. And other than my bandmates and my girlfriend, they're the guys I send things to, to say, yeah. hey, what do you think? You know? And I think it's one of them who, instead of saying, why are you calling it that, said, is there a suite too? Everyone yeah. else was just like, what the fuck is a butter miracle? You're right. So, um, and I said yes, because I thought I was pretty excited about it. And I still am. I really love this suite, and I do want to do more of them because it does work, and it's really cool, and it's also really hard. And I like that. It's, it's challenging, you know? Right. Um, well, there's, I mean, there's so many ideas, I know myself too, that you have in your head and, and you want them to work. And then when you try and do it, it doesn't always come out the way that it was in your head. So it is very, very satisfying when it does work the way, exactly the yeah. way you pictured it. Yeah, especially because, like, from the moment I had that idea, there's a lot of work between then and that moment. Like, Mm -hmm. not only just writing all those songs that way and trusting it, but also the entire recording process, which got Mm -hmm. interrupted at about 85% finished by a fucking pandemic that fell on the world. Yeah, You know, like, uh, we would have been done months earlier than that. But, you know, all these things, and you're holding it in your head, and you're just dying to be done, and then, oh, wow, it's it's even better than I thought, you know, it's yes. so cool. Um, which I'm, I'm kind of used to with the band because it's an underappreciated thing, what it takes to turn, you know, I'm the songwriter in the band, but those are really just these skeletons, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's some chords and some words. That's not a song. I mean, it yeah. is, but it's not like, I mean, if you're a music fan, you've probably seen, you go to see a guy in a club, you watch him for a while. He's really, really good. He gets a deal, he makes a record, they bring a bunch of other musicians in to play, mm-hmm. and the record's flat. Mm-hmm. Because like yeah. those musicians didn't get what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys have been out doing my songs for 30 years now. You know, like yeah. I mean, not that I'm not a part of it. Arranging is my main job in the studio, you know, but it's still I was like, fuck, it's just it's just great. You know, yeah. I love it. Now that you've you've had some now that it's been out for a week, you've had some time to digest and and get off the work side of it. How how are you feeling about it now? Has are you 
Are you feeling more pleased? Are you able to enjoy it more now? Well, I mean, I've been kind of, I thought I'd be off this week, but there's been so much overwhelming press response yeah. that I've, I've put in pretty much eight hour days every day this week. Wow. I was supposed to have it off. We were going to go back to work on our podcast Yeah, because I had all these days off, but I've actually worked from 9 a.m. to 4 or 5 every day this week. Um, yeah. Solid press stuff. Um, but also, you know, the record came out at midnight on Thursday. At two minutes to midnight, I was, I was in Austin, so it was two minutes to 11. I, tweet, I tweeted Dev to the world, you know, like, Butter Miracle comes out in two minutes. Go check it out. And then I opened up Spotify right at midnight and checked it out. And yeah. it was all wrong. <laughs> it's just like, yes, I was going to ask about way. that. Uh, well, you know. So what happened? Well, you know, as we were recording this, like I said, we, were, we weren't ending the songs. We were playing them into the next song. Right. And near the end of recording, we got to thinking, maybe we should go back and cut some endings for the songs. Just mm -hmm. like record some endings so that we could snip those on. It won't matter most of the time. You know, we want people to listen to it the way it's supposed to flow. Mm -hmm. But if you want to release a single, well, there's no endings on these songs. Or right. if you want to put them in a playlist, it will cut off kind of suddenly. So maybe we should make single edits. And those mm -hmm. can be like, the record is a four-track record. It costs whatever, $5. But you also get for free the four single edits. So right. if you want to put them in your playlist or if radio wants to play it, they're there. Yeah, you yeah. know, but it was only supposed to be for that. And instead, it accidentally got released as just the four single edits. Mm. No suite at all on some, yeah. on some uh, formats. So I was like, I realized it at literally one minute after midnight. And I was on the phone a minute oh, later so. like, do you guys realize what you did? Yeah. <laughs> so people, we've been trying to get it fixed all week. It's a little bit of a rough getting the DSPs to like filter everything through and update that quickly. I think as of today, maybe it's finally correct everywhere. Oh, man, that's got to be frustrating. Especially you work on this piece of art and someone else just comes along. And anyways, I'm sure. You know, it's funny. It has a lot to do with, I mean, it's kind of why I took time off. It's like, yeah. not that it's, not that this kind of crap happening, but when you write songs, it's just you. Maybe you and a few mm -hmm. of your best friends in your band. It's just a small group. Yeah. You make a record. It's me and six of my best friends, plus a producer who is honestly a really good friend of mine. It's, it's all very internal and intimate. Yeah. You put a record out, that involves 50 million other people working on it, plus the whole world. Yeah. You know? And this stuff, which I don't know, it's not really, it was a bunch of miscommunications, mm -hmm. but this stuff doesn't happen when we're making the record. Right. It could only happen when we turn it over to other people. And yeah. it, I mean, it was the best of intentions and it was just some miscommunications and it's really nobody's, it's a, it's a little bit of 50 people's faults and not any one person's fault. And it just happened. And everybody's been working really hard to correct it. So, but I mean, like I'm saying, really, it's such a personal thing and putting out records involves things that just making them doesn't. And I think that's part of why I wasn't making records for the last six or seven years. Cause I was just kind of burnt out on some of that stuff. Um, but I don't know. I love this record and it's done. It's, it's okay. I, you know what I, I compared to, I'm, I'm a photographer and um i even i do actually do a lot of concert photography i've shot you guys before and uh i hate it especially when i send it to radio or whatever and they post an unedited shot and i'm like uh -huh. come on guys like yeah you know like i've 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 made this look so much better and you posted the old one the old shot the original like you know and it's yeah. to me it's 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 brainless you know it's it's obvious but you know, some people don't know any different. Anyways, so that's, that's what exactly that's, what that's exactly what it is. But and not the brainless like, part. Uh, but you what know? you're talking about is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it's just and it's like, like that's my work. That's my work. Post it the way I designed it to be posted. Yeah, or I like mean, I, was, I was a wreck all weekend. Yeah, I, mean, I, I realized. I mean, I was just like I didn't sleep from Thursday till 
probably Tuesday. Yeah, when you invest that yeah, kind but, of time, man, that's. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyways, I, I listened through the suite and I loved it. And Thank you. Uh, I, before I move on, I have, I do have a question about a specific song, but if, and when there is a sweet two, do you think you'll continue it from, you know, from where you left off or will no, it be, it'll be, it'll be a, a separate beginning and an end separate for beginning. sure that I'm sure of. Cause I don't for, I think it, this really works, it, I, which what's really cool about it, aside from the fact that it actually works going from song to song is that you can sit down mm-hmm. and the 19 minutes or 18, whatever it is just passes. You know yeah. what I mean? And it, and it works. It doesn't feel like you're applaud. It doesn't feel like work to sit and listen through it. It just, it takes you from the beginning and it shoots you all the way through to the end. Yeah. But I think that's about the length. You know, I don't, I don't think I want to mess with too much longer than that. Gotcha. Also, it'll be a good, it's just one side of a record that way. If you want to put it on an LP, right. it works that way. Yeah. Uh, now that people are listening to vinyl again, it, that's kind of cool. That is really um, cool, actually. Yeah, so I think that's about the length. You know, I don't think you want to go past 20 minutes or it's yeah. from between 15 and 20 minutes is probably as far as it should go. Yeah. Now you mentioned that, you know, you needed a break for the last few years and stuff. And I read that in this, that this album, it kind of, you were in England at the time when I think it was the tall grass first, you know, sparked your inspiration. So what, what had brought you to England at that time? And, and what was it that was inspiring you to write this music? Well, I, my friend has a farm w- way out in the West of England. Okay. And I, I've spent a bunch of time there the last few years, I mean, not last year, but the, last year doesn't count. It's yeah. Yeah, last year, but all the for about three or four years before that, I was yeah. spending a lot of time. You know, I don't really do vacations, but I was going to this farm, and a lot of it was with his family and him. A lot mm-hmm. of it was with my girlfriend and all of us, and a, a lot of it though was just me. There were mm-hmm. times when it was just me there, okay. uh, and uh, you know, for some reason, I I found myself wanting to play piano, maybe because of the solitude. Uh, my girlfriend had been there with me, and she left to go to on a trip to France with a friend. She took a train over to Paris with a friend. Um, and I, I found myself wanting to play piano. And so I, I rented a piano in London, not a piano, like a little keyboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a friend drove it down and I started playing. And uh, within the next couple of days, I wrote the tall grass, okay. you know, and then Bobby, I mean, elevator boots came right out of that. Okay. Um, so, but they were all written there. There was nothing on this record that I didn't write on that farm. I wrote three or four songs you know, August and September of 2019 there, uh, I might've written the fourth one in October when I went back, but I had to throw one of them out. Okay. Um, oh, really? Well, yeah, because I kept, as I wrote it, I really liked it, but I kept thinking, I, this part of it sounds like something else and I can't figure out what it is. I, I, and I kept thinking Elvis Costello, I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I sent it, and when I sent the songs to the band, I'm like, this one song, can you listen to it? Am I like, copying some Elvis Costello thing or is there something does it remind anybody of anything the band's like no we really like this song it's great it's really catchy I'm like okay but when I finally sent it to Brian Deck our producer and he's like oh my god these are so cool and I go what about the uh, Monday School does Monday School remind you of anything is it like and he goes oh yeah it's Miracle Man by Elvis Costello it just it was just just one little section this one moment a turnaround at the end of a chorus maybe it's just it was exactly the turnaround at this one moment. And I was just like, ah, fuck. I knew it. Um, (laughs) You know, sometimes stuff just sticks in your head. And when you're writing, um, I'm really tunnel vision when I'm writing. And so something just sounds good. It won't always bother me till later. But that one, it was like, ah, shit. So I threw that out. And when I went back there in January, I wrote Bobby and the Rat Kings, which is actually a much, much better song. Okay. Um, But uh, it was the one song I was kind of doubtful about anyways. Really? Okay. Yeah. The, the part of the suite that 
that uh, actually really roped me is in um, Angel of 14th Street. And I really get roped into the chorus about the king and the angel and leaving a light on for them. And uh, I, wanted to I wanted to ask what was, what was going through your head? What was the concept or the origin behind that story of the king and the angel? Well, I, I had kind of been... I had this big build at the end of uh, Elevator Boots and it went into something. I had some kind of chords and I, the feel didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And I, I, did, I went into town one day with one of the guys that works on the farm in his pickup truck and the BBC on the way back was playing this. The, the, it was the new Bombay Bicycle Club song. Mm -hmm. And it just did something. It was like a, a synthesizer, a really simple kind of sing-songy synthesizer melody over a dance beat. Uh, and I really, I loved it. and. Uh, and it gave me an idea for these chords that was different. It's funny because I went back to listen to, like, just a few months ago, to, uh, to the Bombay Bicycle Club album and got it and listened to it, trying to find what song it was. And mm -hmm. I have no idea. There's nothing on really? there that sounds like Angel of 14th Street. But there are a few things on there that sound like kind of dance beats with a synthesizer. So it may have been just like the idea it gave me about like this expansive, strummy dance beat uh, took the music I had and then put it into that feel. And I, I kind of wanted some sort of weird synthesizer over it, melody, you know. So that kind of led me into the writing of it. The song, I think it's about in a lot of ways, I mean, it is partially about me moving from California to New York, but it's, it's also really, I don't think I knew what it was about when I wrote it. Okay. But I, I look back on it now, um, that's, that's, that's very common for me. I'm not thinking about themes when I write things, but mm -hmm. I, I can see them when I look back. And that one, I think, you know, I think I was looking at what it's like to be a woman in the world today. And I have a little sister, you know, and like almost every woman you meet has, whether they tell you about it or not, nearly 50 to 70% of the women in, in the world have some kind of story of abuse or assault mm. or, you know, shit that went on in their life. That's mm. the world must feel like a very vulnerable, sketchy place in a way that it doesn't to us. And I mean, it is a vulnerable, sketchy place, but for women, it's almost like accepted that it is. And we were going through a thing at a time where even the fucking president was like, his attitude towards women were a little weird. And I, I was thinking about what it must feel like to be a woman growing up in society and just where you're, you're so vulnerable that it's accepted that you will be assaulted at some point in your life. And that we're just going to, and you're expected to like learn to live with it and go on with your life. That's kind of, it's, it sounds horrible, but it actually kind of is what it's like for yeah. not just like women in shitty situations for women on earth you know, mm. in America. Um, and uh, I was kind of writing the song about that, about, uh, you know, just someone who's in a position that is very, very vulnerable because she chooses to be an open person, but mm. also because there is brutality in this world and that we have to learn to live with that. Like the line at the end of uh, Tallgrass, you know, some of us get broken when we're children and, you, you know, you, you never get it back once it's gone, you know, and yeah. That, that, that you, you, we carry these ghosts around with us and we're scarred by our childhood and we carry the ghosts of our childhood with us for the rest of our lives. And the question is, you know, do you live looking backwards at it, being basically haunted by your ghosts for the rest of your life? Or, you know, can you like, they are going to determine the person you become, but can you, you know, the rest of your life is out there, not, not back there. Can you live it that way or not? You know, it's hard. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, you know, we're all formed by our childhoods and the scars we pick up during that time. And yeah. I think a lot of that song was just about sort of looking at the life of a woman, an artistic person, maybe, and, and you know, a perfectly normal, good person mm -hmm. who's a little broken by the things she's gone through. 
And I just really, you know, I wrote those chords to be like, da, ba, 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 you know, it's kind of, uh, what's the word, uh, hokey on piano when I do it, you know, hmm. but I was, my hope was that it would be fleshed out in a way that really worked, that there would be counterpoints, which by the way, Charlie, man, did he come through on the, the Mellotron stuff on that yeah. song with the horns, the strings, the synthesizers, all the stuff he put in there that really made it work. And then also my friend, Dave Drago, who, who wrote and re- sang almost all the background vocals on this record. Um, Cause when we hit that, we were 85% done when we hit the quarantine you know the idea was that five of us were going to start this record we would rehearse in february and then like the last couple days in february we went in the studio for two weeks and then we were going to take a break everybody would go home just a mm-hmm. week and a half break and the other two guitar players would come in dave bryson and dan vickery and we would finish their stuff in a few days and we would mix the record but the last few days in the studio that first run was when you know people were stuck on cruise ships and president was at the cdc and so the pan the quarantine hit right at the break so we were stuck we couldn't finish up for a while i called dave and said hey i've got all these background vocals and i i want you to help me with them uh, we don't have any really good ideas immer has a couple things actually that are really good but just like a couple lines here and there and he and i over the phone during i think the month of april um did all the background vocals for the record he sings 90 percent of the vocals on this record the background Immer sings a couple. I don't sing any on this record. Maybe I sing one. I'm not sure. But uh, so he was really a big contributor. He had produced and done a lot of the background vocals on my friend Sean Barna's last record, Sissy. Mm -hmm. And all the ones that I didn't sing, he sang. And I was really blown away by how the the feel of it, the creativity, the kind of glam, Mata Hoople, early Bowie feel of the background Mm -hmm. vocals. Yeah. And I really loved it. And when I when these songs started developing, I couldn't help thinking about that stuff and really wanting to, I wanted to involve him. Mm-hmm. And so it was perfect because we couldn't work. And he has a studio at his house because he's a producer. So he's up in Rochester, New York. I called him and he, uh, he and I over the phone and over Zoom kind of did all the background vocals. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, he did them all. I, I commented, you know. Um, so that was a big part of this record. And it's a really big part of uh, Angel of 14th Street. Yeah, those and, background vocals are huge in that song. Yes, yeah, I, I I did notice, especially especially on that "Leave the Light On" section. Yeah, and, uh, man, I love that that I love that what what it made what it, what it made you remind you of because uh, I think that's just so prevalent right now. And I've I've you know I think we all have in the last few years, but I've re- you know in the last few years as well put myself in the perspective of of the woman, and uh, it is really. And, and, and noticed in my own life, the effect that, you know, your parents play on your life. And I think that's all really incredible that that was a big part of this song, you know? Yeah. Cause I think it's about like, I think the whole suite in a way is about me rediscovering the things that are important to me in life, which is mostly music, you know, yeah. the tall grass is very specific at the beginning. It's dealing with a lot of solitude where I was. Uh, the life and death of an animal, very small. And then also life and death in general of people right. and worlds. And, you know, it really expands outward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a lot of like music's been the most important thing in my life for most of my life, you know, as a kid, just being obsessed with it, listening to it, loving it, mm-hmm. uh, my comfort and joy, you know, and then yeah. as an adult writing it and creating it and playing it. And I think that if you listen to the record, Bobby and the Rat Kings is very much about a kid loving music and loving this fictional band and how it's, the soundtrack to his memories and it's a touchstone for the things he's gone through in life elevator boots is about a guy in a band mm-hmm. who's like 
people come in and out of his life and fade away, towns come in and fade away, but there's always a gig the next night. The one thing that is consistent and steady and dependable for him is playing, you know? And I think Angels is about like what we go through as men and women in the world. You know, they're, yeah. they're all kind of about like the things that I care about and, and how much of a big part music plays in that for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, it, that, I mean, it reminds me, you know, my own life too. Like I, there was, there was, I remember a moment where, where my kindness or vulnerability was taken advantage of. And I remember thinking, I'm like, this happens to women all the time, you know? And, uh, it is, it's not, it's not fair, you know? And, um, yeah, I think that I, I think now I'll, I'll even listen to that song in a, in a completely different light too. And, uh, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Very no, much. I mean, and it's not supposed to be a polemic on it. You know, it's, right. it's about vulnerability because, you know, we're all, if you're not sitting there being ironic and protected all day long, we're all out there opening ourselves to the world and being mm. vulnerable to it. And, it. and it comes back in some ways, you know, it, it focuses on a woman in this case who's you know, more vulnerable. Yes. Uh, yeah. But, but it, the shot, sad part is she's more vulnerable simply because of her sex. It, yeah. it, you know. Absolutely. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned already before that, you know, you guys have been a band now exactly to this year, 30 years. And with very, very minimal lineup changes, um, you know, can, very much considering. And uh, what's, what's the formula to keeping a happy band? <laughs> well, I think I realized early on that I, like, I really wanted to be in a band. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be a solo artist. It's never been of interest to me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I just, and so that, if that's the case, you know, you got to figure out what you want in a life and then try to figure out the ways to be responsible about getting it or keeping it, you know? And if, if the thing you want most in your life is to be in a band and you're in that band, you got to do the things that are necessary to keep it together. You know, like we split a lot of the money equally, mm -hmm. you know, and there's enough at the beginning, there just wasn't any, so it didn't really matter. Right. And then after a while there was enough. So it's like, look, it doesn't matter how much people being love in the band, love being in the band. If you can't make it affordable for them to stay in the band, they can't, you know, they have kids too. They got to be able to take care of their families. Uh, you know, I think I just made those guys a priority. I mean, we're not, we're, we're like brothers. I'm not going to say that we're all happy with each other every day. There's right. frustrations, of course. Like family. But, but I think those guys know that those things are about music, mm -hmm. you know, and that like we argue and I'm, I'm a bastard about things that are musical, but you know, I really care about those guys. And I, I think part of it is waking up every day and making them a priority mm -hmm. um, because I don't think I've been running around as an egotist too, being like, I'm the lead singer. I get everything. I'm the lead singer. I do all the work. You know, it's really what it is. And we split the money equally. So if I'm the one doing all the work and we're splitting the money equally, I'm halfway to being an employee really. Right. Um, and, and I think those guys appreciate that too. They know that. And I'm not, uh, I don't take a lot of uh, perks or advantages. So we really have, you know, what there is, I try and do for all of us. Um, yeah. They always say the best, the best boss is the one that looks after his employees, right? Well, I think it's really important. You know, like you, you got, you want to work together. I, I just don't want to lose my band. I don't want to be a solo artist, you know? And I think if that's the case, they have to be the first priority every day. Mm -hmm. And I think I've been, I, I had to really learn to do that though. I was really shitty at first. Being a band leader is harder than I thought it was going to be. Being a band. It's hard in every band, you know? Yeah. Being in a band in general is hard, you know? Yeah. The hardest thing I always found to being in a band was getting four guys, five guys in a room at the same time, you know, scheduling. Yeah. And that, and that was it. It was like one week was, uh, 
you know, was two guys. The next week was, was, was three. Sometimes no one can make it, you know? So yeah, I just, I just got a note here that we have to wrap soon. Um, oh, okay. So I, I am going to, there was one, I'm going to pick out what I think was most important. So one of my all time favorite counting crow song is a long December. And um, there is a part, one of my favorite moments in life too, are those little, very subtle moments in life simple moments where for a split second if you're very lucky it could last a minute where everything just feels perfect and it can be the simplest moments and there's a line in along december that takes me to those moments every time and so for one it's 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 in near the near the, one of the last verses i wrote it down so i didn't screw up the line but it's uh you know there's the first line is and it's been a long december and there's reason to believe maybe this year will be better than the last for one we really needed that in the last year <laughs> Um, but then the following line is, I can't remember all those times I tried to tell myself uh, to hold on to those moments as they pass. And it always takes me, it always makes me reminisce on those little tiny moments because they're memorable because they're so, they feel so perfect in the moment. Um, so I just, I, I mean, I don't even know if there's a question, but I wanted to share that. Um, I, think, always... I, I think details in songwriting are really important. Mm -hmm. I think you have to capture real things. You have to describe the world around you. I mean, it's not enough to just say, I like her or I feel mm -hmm. this. You want to like, if you can, you can get more emotional involvement telling people what's on the walls in your room in a way. Yes. And, you know, and it's about, uh, songwriting is about snapshots and capturing those moments in a way that descriptive, like instead of saying, I, I have a crush on that girl, uh, all at once you look across a crowded room to see the way that light attaches to a girl. And yeah. that's a snapshot of that moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's why I'm so obsessed with memory because it's, it's, a, it's a visceral thing that fades ever, ever, ever more the longer you go. You remember mm -hmm. it, it's a part of your life that you lived, but it gets ever hazier. And, and capturing those things is what you try to do as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. Like that snapshot in that second verse about the light attaching is, is what I'm almost uh, paying tribute to in, in the last verse with the holding onto the moments as they pass because you, you capture those little pictures and that's, that's what being a writer's about is like mm -hmm. taking those snapshots. I mean, you're a photographer, it's like, the magic of photography is that it's just a split second, yeah. but it captures so much of that came before and after. It's funny, like I don't really like those live photos in, in, in my iPhone because it takes all that away when everybody moves and stops, you know? First thing I did was turn that off. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, uh, well, I think that's incredible, man. It's, and uh, it's just, it just, it always feels really special when I come to that line because it does take, it'll take me to that, a particular moment in time. Um, yeah, I, I get that. I love that. That's my most perfect song to me. Really? I, there's never, there's, there's no song really that I want to play every night except that one. There's really? never been a night where I felt like I don't. It's the weirdest thing, and I don't know why. But mm -hmm. there's never been a night where I felt like I don't want to play Long December. I'm like for some reason always fine playing it. And I knew when I wrote it too. It just felt there are songs that maybe are better songs or whatever, more more pop, but more cookie. But there's something so perfect about the craftsmanship on that song that it feels like a series of very perfect snapshots at a moment in my life that's captured mm -hmm. and frozen and it, and it becomes in completely timeless. Yeah. It's never get dated, nothing. Yeah. I, oh, I'm getting told I have to go. Sorry. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, thank you so much, Adam, for taking the time. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I could have done a Joe Rogan length one with you here, but uh, I talk too much. It's a problem. That's all right, man. We'll save it for next time and hopefully uh, we'll catch you on tour. All right, man. Thank you so much. See you later. Eh? Have a good day. Later. Bye.
Adamantium. Thank you for tuning in to the Adamantium Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd absolutely love for you to subscribe to us on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. I'd also love to see you on social media. You can follow on Instagram at The Adamantium, on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. Thank you again so much for listening.